Well, my opening words last week were these. I typically shy away from telling extreme stories. Perhaps I should have been more shy last week. Uh, I think the story I told caused somewhat of a stir. So I want to say clearly this week what I had hoped would have been more clear last week, and it's this, that the point of last week's story was that the woman in the story exhibited extreme obedience to what she believed God was calling her to do in her situation, and the Lord blessed her obedience. Are we clear on that? In no way, please hear, in no way was I suggesting that in order to be obedient to the command at which we looked last week, at which we will look again this week, that women must stay in an abusive situation. Are we clear on that? Are we clear on that? Because my heart, and I know the hearts of most people here in this room, go out to women who find themselves in these difficult situations. And we stand ready to pray for you, to help you, to support you, to walk with you, to discover what you believe God is calling you to do in your difficult situation. But beyond that, the reality for all of us this morning is that life is full of difficult situations. We sing here, robustly, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. When there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. How will we Bless the Lord, even when obedience is difficult. Samuel Rutherford writes so beautifully and so succinctly and so truly, if contentment were here, heaven were no heaven. We cannot have the perfection and the contentment of heaven here on earth. And so Rutherford gives this counsel. Send up a heavy heart to Christ, and it shall be welcome. Send up a heavy heart to Christ, and it shall be welcome. Life is full of difficult situations. And Scripture commands things that we find very difficult to obey. And that's why you and I must walk with Christ through difficult things to which he calls us. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to 1 Peter chapter 3. So I'll invite you now to take out your Bibles and turn there. There should be a Bible in the pew in front of you, should you not have one. And when you've found your place in 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Likewise, 
Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their lives, of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We've read it. It's been heard. And you promise that in that place, there is your blessing. So bless us now with understanding as we come to your word. Bless us with an eagerness to obey all that we hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll say once again, as we begin, that I cannot say everything that needs to be said in one sermon. And reviewing everything that has been said would prevent us from hearing the new thing that God may have for us. So I'll remind you that the sermons are online. They're there for you to watch or to listen to if you've missed them or to listen to again, should you choose to do that. The same is true for this week. I cannot say all there is to say except this. Hold on. There is more to come. Are we good with that? Now, last week, I made three observations about extreme obedience. The first is that extreme obedience requires a kingdom perspective. The second is that extreme obedience requires a shepherd's guiding hand. And the third observation is that extreme obedience is countercultural. Today, I had hoped to add a fourth and a fifth observation. I actually planned today's bulletin around the fifth observation, and we're not going to get to it. So next week, you have to remember this week's bulletin, okay, as we worship together. This morning, we're only going to get to one observation, and it's an important one. It's one that has implications beyond this particular verse, and it's this. Extreme obedience is difficult. Extreme obedience is difficult. No one doubts that the command before us this morning for wives to be subject to their husbands is a difficult command. And it's difficult because it seeks specifically to put back in place, to put back in order what has been out of place since sin first entered into the world. You know, when a joint or a bone gets out of order or out of place, Snapping it back into place is painful, isn't it? I scream like a baby 
whenever Carson gives me a chiropractic adjustment. I hear the crack, I feel the pop, I scream, ah, and then it feels good. So reordering is difficult. Putting back in place is painful, but it's good for us. And so the command before us stands out because it doesn't just seek to reorder in general what sin put out of place, but instead it addresses a specific area that was specifically highlighted as out of order when sin first entered the world. Genesis chapter 3. God comes to Adam and Eve after the first sin. And the Lord God speaks to Adam first, and he asks him basically, Adam, have you sinned? And Adam's reply is this, the woman you gave me, she did it. Look at how quickly sin's devastating effects take impact in our lives. Adam blames God for creating Eve and blames Eve for leading him astray. This is far from the reaction that Adam was created to have. Where's the heroism? Where's the bravery? Where's the knight in shining armor? Where's the protection for his wife? He who was created first, created physically stronger, created to lead, abdicated what God had created him for, and he left his wife exposed. I don't want to go beyond what Scripture teaches, but you almost get the sense that Adam, at this point, does not care what happens to Eve. He just seeks to save himself. And please notice this. Before God makes any pronouncement on either one of them, and he's going to do that, sin has already broken their relationship. Adam has already abdicated and left Eve to fend for herself. And so what God says to Eve next just puts into words what has already happened. And God says to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now this is the new and the hard reality. Conflict will now exist between husband and wife where once there was beautiful and perfect harmony. Their relationship is broken. It's out of joint. God's order will no longer feel right for them. It will no longer be something they embrace, but instead it will be something that they seek to circumvent, something they attempt to get around. Eve would now seek to have the role that God had given to Adam and quite possibly and most probably because Adam in his sinfulness would be domineering instead of kind and loving, demanding instead of displaying the servant leadership to which he is called, the kind that Jesus 
as the second Adam displayed when he got up from the table, took off his outer garment, wrapped the towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet. Adam would no longer seek the beauty and the glory of his wife in the way that Christ, the bridegroom, seeks beauty and glory for his own bride, the church, you and me. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Adam would no longer be this kind of husband. Adam's sin and Eve's sin has made God's order difficult. It's no longer appealing to them and neither has it been for any husband or wife after them. And so the command that Peter gives here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reasserts God's order, puts the bone back in place, so to speak, And that's hard, and it's difficult, and it can be painful. And so the question that each of us must answer is, what will we do when the way is hard? Now, the easy answer to that question is just to dismiss God's order. And that's what's been done with this verse. It's the easy thing, as we've seen over the past few weeks, to say that this command is culture-bound antiquated and outdated. The easy thing is to follow the order of our culture as it says that order should be. And so the command before us requires each one of us to examine our own reactions to what is hard, to what is difficult, whatever that command or calling may be, And to evaluate why we think it should not be so. Why should it not be difficult? Why should it not be hard? And perhaps hard teachings like this reveal to us that we believe that the Christian life really should be an easy life. Commands like this require each of us to define And to describe what we think the cross looks like. That Jesus tells us that we must take up and carry. If we are to follow him as devoted disciples. Delighted, devoted disciples. Our cross, yours and mine, is not two pieces of wood lashed together. What is it? What is its difficulty? Where is its pain? Where is its suffering? And where will you look for strength to carry it? And the balm to salve its wounds that you will surely receive so that you can be joyful in the midst of it. To quote Samuel Rutherford again, there is no sweeter fellowship with Christ than to bring our wounds and our sores to him. There is no sweeter fellowship.
with Christ and to bring our wounds to him. Peter has already written about trials in chapter 1. We looked at that low these many months ago. He's going to write extensively about suffering later in chapter 4. Christianity does not free us from suffering, from hard things, from difficult things. Ask the early believers who established the church of which you and I are now a part. Faith increased their suffering, but they had joy in the midst of it. Jesus strengthened them to face their martyr's death with a holy laughter. And so I suggest that when the way is difficult, when the teaching is hard, we must tell ourselves this. There is no better way than God's way. Can we say that together? There is no better way than God's way. And this is what Peter realized when he himself listened to hard things that Jesus said. He watched Jesus, who out of his mercy and compassion and love, fed more than 5,000 people with five small, five small loaves and two fish. So enamored was the crowd by what Jesus had done that they sought to make him king by force if necessary. So Jesus escaped them and went into the mountains. And there during the night, he famously walked on the water the many miles to the other side. The next day, when the people discovered that Jesus was gone, they followed him and found him on the other side of the lake. And so Jesus began to teach them again. And he said to them, you are seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. But he told them they had not really understood the meaning of the sign of the miracle. And so he taught that to them. He taught them about true discipleship, about true commitment. And he said this, it looks like being all in for Christ. It looks like being so intimately connected to the Lord Jesus Christ that it's like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so those listening grumbled about him and said this, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And from that point on, the point of this hard teaching, many of the disciples turned back and they no longer followed Jesus. And so Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and he asks them, do you want to go away as well? And then Peter spoke up. I love him so much. Lord, he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love the holy hopelessness of this realization. I love the gloriously crushing realization that there is no better way than God's way. There is no better order than God's order, even when that way is difficult and hard. There is nowhere else to go, at least no place 
that will make your life and my life the way it's supposed to be. There's no other way to get the bone back, the joint back in place. And so, how do you respond when Jesus calls you to difficult things? Will you walk away from him as so many did and do? Or will you take his hand and walk with him? That really is the choice, isn't it? Walk away from Christ or walk with Christ. And here's the really good news for you and for me. If we choose to walk with Christ, he has already walked that difficult path. And he knows that path so well. And is that not what we want the most? When the way is marked with suffering, when the forest is deep and dense and dark, when we don't know the way, don't we want someone who does know the way, who has the provisions for us on our way? That's our only hope and our only peace. Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him extremely. This doesn't mean that Jesus learned something he didn't already know. It means that Jesus experienced something he had never experienced before. He experienced how difficult it is to obey when obedience is difficult. He experienced how painful it is to obey when obedience is difficult and requires suffering. John Owens, that famous 17th century Puritan, writes this about Hebrews 5. One special kind of obedience is intended here, namely a submission to great, hard, and terrible things accompanied by patience and quiet endurance and faith for deliverance from them. This Christ could not have experience of except by suffering the things he had to pass through, exercising God's grace through them all. This is why scripture can say to you and me that Jesus can sympathize with us. I know last week I probably left you in a difficult or at least an uncomfortable place. So ask yourself, where did you go? Where did your heart go with that teaching? Where's your heart going right now with this teaching? This command forces us to explore what we believe about God's order, about God himself, about his heart, about Christ, about what he came to do, about what he lives now to do. It makes us choose 
just like Joshua. He had established God's people in the land that God promised to them. And he renewed the covenant with them. And he said to the people, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if this is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can substitute culture for gods. Choose culture, God. Who will you follow? And if you believe that God's order is wrong, listen, if you believe that God's order is wrong, then you must face the consequences of that belief. You have to go and find a better physician than Christ is to set the broken bones of your life. And I can tell you right now with 100% confidence, that search will be futile. No one else has the right order. And Christ alone has the words of life because he is the life. And passages like this force you and me to go to Christ when the way is difficult, when it's hard. They force us to take that hurt and that frustration and that pain to Jesus because either Jesus is the great physician that heals us, the balm of Gilead that soothes us, the giver of ununderstandable peace that calms us, the dispenser of untakeawayable joy that cheers us, the soul shepherd who guides us, the bread of life that feeds us, the living water that saturates us. Either he is those things or he is not. Choose. I'll tell you. He is. So go to him. Learn what Jesus learned through suffering. Learn to offer up prayers and supplications, even with your tears, as he offered them up. Learn to know, as he knew, that the Father heard those cries. Discover what he discovered. Listen, that on the other side of the suffering, on the other side of obedience to the hard things, to the difficult things, is glory. On the other side is the heaven of God. Is that good news? There is the perfection that we will know because Christ did the hard thing. There is the salvation that you and I will experience eternally because Christ did the hard thing. So let's choose Christ and walk with him through whatever difficult things to which he may call us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know the road before us. Nothing comes into our lives but that it first passes through your hands, your sovereign hands, your hands that are gracious and good and compassionate and merciful. So, Father, I ask now that you would help each of us. Lord, and there are those here this morning who are facing hard and difficult things. We pray for them. Through the power of your Spirit, give them your strength, Lord to obey you, to obey you extremely, to not give up when the way is hard and difficult and painful, but to take your hand 
and walk with you through it, knowing, Lord, that you will lead and you will guide to safety and eternal rest. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.